Fields Talk 1041. My name is Nick Reed. Welcome to the show. Streaming on Facebook. We are there. If you search 1041 Nick Reed, that's sponsored by Springfield Raps, designer of the KSGF Studio. The American Transmissions Talk and Text Line 447-KSGF. Now, if one is really nerdy and follows elections all over the world, the news that we're hearing this morning of the Democrats in Colorado blocking Republicans from having their candidate on the ballot, that being Donald Trump. This is actually very familiar. I grabbed an Associated Press story from June of 2021. Iranians vote in presidential poll marred by disqualified candidates. Iranians voted Friday in a presidential election dominated by Supreme Leader Ayatollah or Ayatollah Ali Khamenei's hardline protege after the disqualification of his strongest competition fueling apathy that left some polling places largely deserted despite pleas to support the Islamic Republic at the ballot box. State-linked opinion polling and analysis put hardline judiciary chief Ibrahim Raisi as the dominant frontrunner in the field of just four candidates. Former central bank chief Andanasar Hamadi is running as the race's moderate candidate, but has not inspired the same support as outgoing President Hassan Rouhani, who cannot seek the office again due to term limits. So what you had there is it's a reflection of what uh, the Democrats are doing in Colorado and what they are attempting to do in about a dozen other states, and that is remove the strongest frontrunner of the opposition. Oh, still, oh no, we believe in democracy. In fact, this particular article notes that there is increasing concern that there's lower voter turnout election after election because the people of Iran are recognizing that the dictatorship, anytime that there is any sort of potential challenger that could erode, or erode their ruling power, they just disqualify him from the ballot. And so the voter turnout continues to diminish because people recognize there's no point. These aren't even real elections because anyone who has a fighting chance is thrown off the ballot. And the only candidates that are left on the ballot are ones that they know will not win. In an interesting reflection of the way or reflection of the way that Democrats operate here in the United States is the same people who are responsible for this diminishing participation because of the rigging of the elections are out there touting democracy and they're trying to get out the vote, encouraging people to vote, talking about how important it is to vote. That way they can say, look how pro-democracy we are. This story, much of it is centered around, this particular story from the Associated Press in June of 2021 is centered around just that and the diminishing participation and the regime's attempt to make it appear as if they're pro-democracy by encouraging people to get out to vote. And of course, the media covers areas in which, you know, 
it looks like there's a high turnout in order to make it appear as if the party in power is clearly the party of freedom and pro-democracy. Much like the Iranian elections, and I'm using Iran as an example, Venezuela's going through this with their dictator right now, and, and numerous other countries, but this is a recent example of the dictatorship in Iran doing what the Democrats are now doing in this country with our elections. So that's why I'm using it as an example. In Colorado, if the Democrats succeed and the Supreme Court does not deny their attempt to cancel the presidential elections there, there will be Biden on the election, if it's him, of course. And then there will be a few other candidates. There always are. People oftentimes forget this because presidential elections don't happen that often. But you're like, who are all these people? This is done purposefully so that those who are, in effect, canceling the elections can claim we're not canceling the election. Look at all well, look at all these people on the ballot. If we were canceling elections, we wouldn't allow these people on the ballots. Well, they know those people don't have a chance to win. So they just boot off the person who is most likely to cause them to lose. Right now, Colorado is a mirror image of what occurred in Iran in 2021 and what occurs in numerous banana republics and dictatorships. Now, let's not forget the people doing this are the same people who tell us Trump is the dictator who will cancel elections. Incidentally, in the last paragraph, or the, uh, well, the last section of this Associated Press article regarding the Iranian regime throwing off stiff competition in the ballots. They noted that Khomeini, for his part, warned of foreign plots seeking to depress turnout and to, you know, illegitimize the election. Gee, now where have we heard accusations of foreign countries interfering in our elections and delegitimizing the presidency? Could that be Russia, anyone? It is amazing. It's as if there is a specific playbook. And it, there is a playbook. It's the instinct of the immoral, power-hungry individuals who do not believe in liberty and freedom, which is why they all behave the same. But if they were to write a book, they could all write books separately and they'd be the same. When you watch how it is, That these people operate. Watch what they do to rig elections or by default essentially cancel elections, making elections irrelevant. And they all do it the same. I mean, it wasn't just this past year, one of the top political opponents of Putin. Oh, that guy is sitting in prison. You know why? A danger to the country. I mean, it's the same rhetoric we hear about Trump and Trump supporters. What does that tell you? Meanwhile, we're told that the reason that we're supposed to fear Trump is because he name calls. We're not supposed to fear the people who actually carry out the same actions of the dictator of Iran, of Putin, the dictator of Venezuela and all these other countries. No, no, ignore that. Did you hear Trump called somebody a vermin? That means he's the danger. 
Oh, that's how that works? Truth stings, doesn't it? Springfield's Talk 1041, the latest news update. From Cutter 10 News, I'm Jesse Inman. A former Missouri State University student is charged with making terroristic threats. Authorities say Aaron Brown began sending threatening emails with references to mass shootings to university employees in February this year while he was still a student. Placed on a psychiatric hold, Brown was expelled in September after his behavior worsened. Then in November, police say Brown sent three threatening emails causing an administrator to close the dean of students' office. Brown is being held in the Greene County Jail. Community members joined parents and teachers for a protest against the Springfield Public Schools administration before the board meeting on Tuesday. The main cause for issue being discipline or lack thereof. Protesters telling Color 10 they have seen out-of-control behavior in the classroom. From Color 10 and Fox 49, I'm Jesse Inman. The first alert forecast sponsored by St. Clair of the Ozarks. Home improvements from Color 10, Fox 49. Meteorologist Tom Schmidt, mostly cloudy with a high today of 58. Mostly cloudy, 41 tonight and tomorrow. Cloudy, slight chance of afternoon showers, high of 57. Now, I do want to share with you one other piece coming up. And it's Jonathan Turley. Jonathan Turley, constitutional lawyer. Uh, in no way, shape, or form a fan of Donald Trump. He's a Democrat, but he's one of those Democrats that doesn't believe in you know, what, he, well, he just, he believes in the Constitution and the rule of law. And so he finds himself increasingly at odds with what the Democrat Party is doing. And he had written a piece that was published in The Hill some time ago. This was prior to the Democrats on the Colorado Supreme Court canceling that presidential election. And it's titled The Disqualification of Donald Trump and Other Legal Urban Legends. Now, the reason that I want to share it with you is because he talks about, in a very straightforward manner, the errors in the perspectives of those who believe that Trump should be disqualified or could be disqualified or that anything about the disqualification in the 14th Amendment even applies to Trump. That next, I'm Nick Reed. observation the american transmissions talk and text line it's true having opposition thrown off the ballot as they do in iran russia venezuela now the united states noting that's exactly how obama won his senate seat his opponents were forced out and that that is very true they went on complete i mean it was man i if I had, had recalled that earlier this morning, I would have looked up the details of all the elections. And I don't know that there was a single election that Obama won in which they, I know that on everyone, they at least tried to have the opponents thrown off the ballots, many of them Democrats, in order for him to win because they believed that he could not win up against stronger opposition. And so they just went and, and threw off the ballots uh, one after another. I believe one of them was, it, it involved a, a, an opponent. I mean, uh, it, 
I don't remember all the details, and it could be a different election, and it's ultimately irrelevant, but it was very, they, they got very, 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 very nasty. And that, again, it was just because they did not feel they could win on the merits. Obama was a left-wing, left-wing radical, and so you just throw the opposition off the ballot. Just do that. This is a piece Jonathan Turley wrote. And then he reposted it with some additions to it. And this was prior, of course, to the decision by the Democrats on the Colorado Supreme Court yesterday. And he notes, below is a slightly expanded version of my column in The Hill on the increasingly popular theory that former President Donald Trump is already barred from office under the 14th Amendment. It's a theory that, in my view, has a political appeal that outstrips its constitutional support. In a constitution designed to protect free speech and prevent the concentration of power, this theory would allow for the banning of candidates based on fluid definitions of aiding and abetting insurrection. Such ballot cleansing is common in countries like Iran, where citizens await to learn which opposition candidates will be allowed to run. While we are thankfully far from authoritarianism of these other countries, well, until last night, the implications of this theory for our constitutional system are still chilling. Here is my column. The popularity of urban legends is a testament to the will to believe. The desire of people to keep Elvis alive or prove that a Sasquatch could exist furtively in our backyard shows the resilience of fables. Constitutional urban legends often have an even more immediate appeal and tend to arise out of the desperation of divided times. One of the most popular today is that former President Donald Trump can be barred from office, even if he's not convicted in any of the four indictments he faces, none of which are insurrection under a long dormant clause of the 14th Amendment. The 14th Amendment theory is something that good liberals will read to their children at night. It goes something like this. Donald Trump can never be present again because the 14th Amendment bars those who previously took federal oaths from assuming office if they engage in insurrection or rebellion. With that and a kiss on the forehead, a progressive's child can sleep peacefully through the night. But don't look under the bed. For as scary as it might sound to some, Trump can indeed take office if he is elected, even if he's a convict, even if he's convicted. Instead, or indeed rather, he can serve as president even in the unlikely scenario that he is sentenced to jail. Democrats have long pushed this theory about the 14th Amendment as a way of disqualifying not only Trump, but also dozens of Republican members of Congress. For some, it is the ultimate Hail Mary pass if four indictments, roughly 100 criminal charges, and more than a dozen opposing candidates fail to get the job done. I've strongly rejected this interpretation for years, so it is too late to pretend that I view this as a plausible argument. However, some serious and smart people take an equally strong position in support of the theory. Indeed, even some so-called conservative scholars, William Bowden, Michael Stokes Paulson, have argued for the interpretation and insist in a recent Law Review article that, quote, the case is not even close. All who are committed to the Constitution should take note and say so, end quote. 
But some of us like to believe that we are committed to the Constitution, and for that same reason, we say no. While I have great respect for these academics, I simply fail to see how the text, history, or purpose of the 14th Amendment even remotely favors this view. Despite the extensive research of Bowd and Paulson, their analysis ends where it begins. Was January 6th an insurrection or a rebellion? I previously addressed the constitutional basis for this claim. It is, in my view, wildly out of sync with the purpose of the amendment, which followed an actual rebellion, the Civil War. Democrats have previously sought to block certification of Republican presidents and Democrat lawyers have challenged elections, including on totally unsupported claims of machines flipping the results. If we are to suddenly convert the 14th Amendment into a running barrier to those who seek to challenge election results, then we have to establish a bright line to distinguish such cases. The 14th Amendment bars those who took an oath and then, quote, engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same, and then adds that that disqualification can extend to those who have, quote, given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof, according to these experts. January 6th was an insurrection, and Trump gave aid and comfort to those who engaged in it by spreading election fraud claims and not immediately denouncing the violence. But even the view that it was an insurrection is by no means a consensus. Polls, in fact, have shown that most of the public view January 6th for what it was, a protest that turned into a riot. One year after the riot, CBS News mostly downplayed and ignored the result of its own poll, showing that 76% of Americans viewed it for what it was, a protest gone too far, not an insurrection or rebellion. The view that it was an actual insurrection is far less settled, with almost half rejecting that claim completely, a division breaking along partisan lines. The theory that this was a rebellion or insurrection has always been highly contested. On January 6th, I was contributing to the coverage and denouncing Trump's speech while he was still giving it, but as the protest increased in size, some of us noted that we had never seen such a comparatively light level of security precautions, given the weeks of coverage anticipating the protest. We then watched a thinly deployed police barrier that was easily overrun and the riot ensued. It was appalling and most of us denounced it as it was unfolding. Trump waited to speak despite criticism from many of us. We now know that many aides called for him to call upon his supporters to pull back, but he waited for a couple of hours. Sulking in the Oval Office does not make Trump a seditionist. Indeed, Despite formal articles of the second impeachment and years of experts insisting that Trump was guilty of incitement and insurrection, special counsel Jack Smith notably didn't even charge him with any such crime. And the reason's obvious. The evidence and constitutional standards would not have supported a charge of incitement of insurrection. Yet these experts still believe that Trump can be barred from office without any such charge even being brought, let alone a conviction. Just judicial fiat that certain challenges were made in bad faith or were rebellious in character. There is no limiting principle to avoid a slippery slope of partisan disqualifications. Would Trump not be disqualified if he had called for his supporters to withdraw an hour earlier? 
Would it have been disqualifying if the security was stronger, as suggested days earlier, and there was no entry into the Capitol? Putting aside the lack of any evidence, there is a lack of logic in the claims. A relatively small number of individuals who have been charged with seditious conspiracy, a widely misinterpreted charge that can amount to as little as preventing the execution of any law as opposed to outright rebellion or insurrection. If Trump supported a rebellion or insurrection, what was the plan? Not only did Smith not charge Trump with any such crime, but there was little evidence that even the most radical defendants charged were planning to overthrow the nation's government or were part of a broader conspiracy. There were no troops standing by, no plan for a post-democratic takeover by Trump or his alleged minions. The courts had already ruled against the president and would likely continue to do so. Many congressional Republicans had already joined Democrats in supporting certification and would continue to do so. Military leaders had already said they would support the transition and would continue to do so. Trump was, not, was clearly not willing to concede, according to some witnesses. There was a despondent and defiant president who may have gotten satisfaction from the chaos in Congress, yet even halting the certification would not stop the certification or results in the seizure of the government. That leaves us with the argument that any effort to stop a constitutional process is akin to an insurrection or rebellion under the 14th Amendment. Well, if that is the standard, any protest, including the anti-Trump protest and the certification challenges to electoral votes back in 2016, could also be cited as disqualifying. If that were the case, figures such as Representative Jamie Raskin, Democrat from Maryland, could be summarily purged from office for having sought to overturn the 2016 election. We would be left on a slippery slope. A partisan judge or judges and members would seek to block opposing candidates from the ballots, all supposedly in the name of protecting democracy. There is a simpler, more obvious explanation for what occurred on January 6, 2021. A political protest became a political riot, and a constitutional theory became constitutional legend. That again, Jonathan Turley, George Washington University, and not in any way, shape, or form a Trump supporter, but a supporter of the Constitution. While there will... Okay, so actually, uh, starting Christmas Eve... At noon, all the way through Christmas Day, we are going to have our traditional American Christmas. Man, I'm Steamroller, hosted by Chip Davis. Uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, a number of different uh, regulars will be filling in for me. So Friday of next week, we will not be broadcasting live at Scramblers, but we will be this Friday from 6A to 9A. Friday Roadshow sponsored by Extra Mile Home Inspection and Real Estate Repair. The First Alert Forecast, sponsored by Wolfpack Cleaners, your residential and commercial cleaning professionals from Color 10 Fox 49, meteorologist Tom Schmidt. Mostly cloudy today with a high of 58, 41 tonight, and tomorrow 57. There's a slight chance of afternoon showers. I, I referenced, uh, or actually someone had texted in uh, how Obama ascended to essentially the national stage by having political opposition thrown off the ballot. This is something that we've seen in countries like Iran, Russia, 
Venezuela dictatorships, uh, the Democrat-run court in Colorado uh, is attempting to do this, or they ruled that they are essentially canceling that election by having Biden's main opposition, should Biden get the nominee, uh, having Trump thrown off the ballot. This, of course, is expected to be expected to be taken up by the Supreme Court, but Lord only knows. And uh, someone had texted in that this you know, Obama used these tactics, and when he first ran for state Senate, there were five. Uh, it was, I believe, in the primary. It was the primary, and the primary in his state Senate district was the only race that mattered because it was a heavily Democrat area. So whomever the Republican was is irrelevant. There were five candidates. Democrats on that ballot by election day there was only one Barack Obama because he had the other four challengers thrown off the ballot there was I believe an attempt to do the same thing he had run also for Congress and he lost and if memory serves the person he lost to that his campaign also tried to have that person disqualified thrown off the ballot failed and the Clintons now this was back when nobody knew who Obama was and whomever the eventual winner was was somebody that I believe the Clintons actually campaigned for when he ran for U.S. Senate At a time, by the way, when he switched his support, when he was, these people, when he was a lowly state senator and only needed left-wing activists to vote for him, he was for gay marriage. When he ran for U.S. Senate, all of a sudden he wasn't for gay marriage anymore. He was for traditional marriage because he needed to moderate himself in order to try to win the U.S. Senate. He was up against a very stiff challenger by the name of Jack Reed or Ryan? Reed, I believe. One of the two. And he, uh, that Republican was married to an actress named Jerry Ryan. So it must have been Jack Ryan. Uh, Jerry Ryan. You'd probably recognize her if you saw her. And they had gotten divorced. They had kids and gotten divorced. Out in California. The Chicago Tribune utilized, I'm sure not in any way, shape, or form to help the Obama campaign, utilized the courts in order to argue that those, the the private divorce um, proceeding records and all, all of that, you know, it was it was sealed that it be opened. Now, mind you, neither of the two involved in the divorce, wanted that stuff made public largely because they had children. And they did not want their children subject to much of what was in there. But this was something that, I mean, we all know it was the Obama campaign by way of the Chicago Tribune was forcing, and eventually he would drop out of the race. There were allegations of him like taking her to sex clubs or something, something that was unsavory. At least for Republicans, Democrats, it's a resume enhancer, of course. And he would drop out. I think Alan Keyes stepped in at the last minute, moved in from Maryland. And essentially what happened was it was through, you know, it, it was a way to rig the election through means other than actually going out and campaigning on your ideas and thoughts. And so th- this is something that particularly if you are 
a person who sees Obama fingerprints over everything out of this administration, someone whose entire career was built off of rigging elections, having opponents thrown off, playing nasty, winning by means in any way other than actually trying to get votes based off your ideas and record. And, and you see how the Democrat Party as a whole operates today. It's, it's just that. Perhaps Obama was not successful in his declaration that he was going to fundamentally transform this country. He was not only successful in doing that, but the elections in this country as well and transforming us from a country in which you had two political parties that, yeah, sometimes they'd lie about each other and, and, and sling mud, but ultimately each presented their plans, their ideas, they showed their records and said, vote for us, we're better, transforming us into a country in which the Democrat Party's number one goal is just gathering up as many ballots as possible and having your opposition thrown off the ballot. And in Florida at least for the Democrat primary election, just completely canceling that one altogether, which is something they did several weeks ago. And it's somewhat related. This is interesting. There's a, there's a, a, a group called the Amistad, or Amistad Project. They're an election integrity watchdog group. And they did a very deep research project on election challenges from the last several years, 20, 20, 19, 20, 21, 22, so forth. And what they found is a couple of things that might, well, it does run totally counter to the narrative in this country about challenging elections. Of course, we're all told if you challenge elections, you are an insurrectionist and you are an election denier, and that's something that Republicans do. What they found is actually Democrats have made more election challenges. We're, we're accustomed to the national ones, but you have state challenges that occur. You've got these, you know, all over the country, these different challenges. You know, a majority over the last several years have been Democrats. And a majority of the cases who have been won on their merits were Republicans. So in other words, the disproportionately high number of court challenges to elections that turned out to be invalid were from Democrats. Well, isn't that an interesting factoid? Some of their study next. I'm Nick Reed. Sarah Myers, everyone. Thank you. Well, 2024 is quickly approaching. And if you are wanting to purchase a new vehicle next year, first check out Avis, the car rental company, and their long-term rental program. Now, this program is a great option if you are looking to buy, but you have a couple of vehicles that you're interested in um, because with the long-term rental program, it allows you to drive brand new top-tier vehicles for a longer period than what you get at the dealership. And some of those highlights uh, of the long-term rental program is, you don't have to worry about maintenance. You don't have to uh, take any trips to the DMV and 
The best part is you can swap out vehicles every couple of months if you wish to do so. So you can try multiple vehicles if you want. And Avis, they have been adding uh, 2024 vehicles to their inventory. I know uh, the last time I checked their site, they have 2024 Kia Souls, the Forte, the Sportage, and I think they have a couple of Nissan options as well. So they really do have something for every lifestyle. Now, if you want more information on the long-term rental program or you just have questions, uh, swing by the Avis store off of Fort and Sunshine speak to Lauren, or you can find all of the contact information for Avis under the Sarah's Endorsements tab at KSGF.com. Man, I can't forget one of uh, the obvious, or I can't believe I forgot one of the obvious. Uh, you texted in, Crystal Quaid did this recently in our own backyard. Mm. There are so many instances of tyrants from Venezuela to Iran to Colorado to right here in Springfield in which... Uh, the the method of election is just to have your political opposition thrown off the ballot. They don't they don't bother with those that they feel will not harm them. It, we talked in the last segment, Obama's entire political career through Illinois. I mean, his very first election in the primary, five candidates. By the time the election came, his name was the only one on the ballot. Had four others thrown off. I mean, yeah, Crystal Quaid, the only black man on the ballot she went to court in an attempt to throw off uh yeah I, I can't believe i forgot about that one right here but these are the people who want to make sure voters aren't disenfranchised of course we are accustomed to watching democrats rig and steal elections and with great frustration see them get away with it. But that's what we see on a national stage. There are all over this country instances in which there are challenges that do take place and the challenges are oftentimes successful. Republicans and Democrats. There was an analysis of more than 400 cases done by an election integrity watchdog group called the Amistad Project. And what they found is that a greater percentage of 2020 election cases brought by Republicans were won on their merit than cases brought by Democrats. Now, what that specifically means is that you know, they weren't thrown out because of uh, lack of, you know, um, well, there's, there's a number of reasons. What's the term I'm looking for? Standing, lack of standing and other reasons. But in terms of the cases in which they actually came, they were heard, they were ruled on, that the majority of the time, or that more so, Republicans uh, were the victors. Just the News, writing on these findings, noting that Republicans concerned about 2020 voting irregularities have been repeatedly called election deniers. But Democrats and their media allies, or by Democrats rather, and their media allies as GOP plaintiffs have brought legal challenges regarding how elections were conducted across the U.S. Media outlets, including Times, Reuters, the AP, and NBC News routinely employ the slur election denier in their reporting, attributing the term specifically to any Republican who questioned, challenged, contested, or denied the 2020 election outcome. However, scores of leading Democrats including Georgia Stacey Abrams, Hillary Clinton, and most infamously Al Gore, have themselves repeatedly asserted that elections were stolen or illegitimate and went as far as attempting to change the outcome of presidential elections by objecting to the certification of state electoral college votes. 
This, of course, is why Colorado, among other reasons, is canceling their election to keep, you know, keeping Trump off the ballot. Yet Democrats appear to not receive the election denier label from the media as Republicans do. While both Republicans and Democrats filed lawsuits regarding the 2020 election, Republicans proportionately won more cases than Democrats who sued to challenge election laws before November 2020. So what that ultimately means is that when it comes to, if we're going to accept the judicial findings that Democrats were more likely to bring accusations that were not valid. In September of 2022, the Amistad Project reviewed more than 400 cases and found that a greater percentage of lawsuits brought by Republicans were won on their merits than those by the Democrats, according to the data provided by the organization and a review by Just the News of cases that have been decided since the report was completed last year, Republicans and right-leaning plaintiffs won 24% of their cases, lost 31% on merits, lost 45% on procedural grounds. In total, 32 cases were won, 41 lost on the merits, 59 lost on procedural grounds. For Democrats and left-leaning plaintiffs, 18% of cases were won, 40% lost on the merits, 42% lost on procedural grounds. So in total, 33 cases were won, 72 lost on their merits, and 75 lost on procedural grounds. The remaining cases were brought by independent parties, those that didn't have an obvious party affiliation or state plaintiffs. Phil Klein, director of the organization, told Just the News that conservatives were reacting to policies issued by government officials with their lawsuits while the left was trying to shape the election through litigation. As a result, Democratic lawsuits occurred earlier in 2020 while those brought by Republicans were later. So, And this is very noteworthy. And perhaps one of the reasons why Democrats have found greater success, because their lawsuits have been attempted to change the rules before the elections in order to make it easier for them to win, while most of the lawsuits brought by Republicans were because of actual irregularities that they viewed in the election. One approach that by the Democrats was simply put trying to rig the elections using the legal system to rig the elections to benefit them, while Republicans, theirs was a response. After they would see something that they believed was illegal, then they would challenge it. And they note a number of different examples in this piece. We'll get it posted for you. Overall, just the news notes, Republicans brought fewer cases to court than Democrats regarding the 2020 election. Now, isn't that a remarkable thing? If you just watch the mainstream media, the average person, and maybe even you, can easily believe that the only people challenging anything regarding elections in 2020 were the election-denying Republicans and the Trump supporters, when in fact a majority of the cases in that overall election were brought by Democrats. But see, they're not election deniers. They're simply fighting for election integrity. Springfield's Talk 104.1. I'm Nick Reed. 
Well, now this is an interesting finding by our U.S. intelligence agencies. Foreign governments such as Russia, China, Iran, and Cuba attempted to influence the 2022 U.S. midterms. Now, what do we remember about the 2022 midterms? They went much, much, much better for Democrats than anyone expected, including Democrats, right? There was supposed to be this red wave. Mitch McConnell completely failed to deliver on the U.S. Senate. Republicans just barely managed to come out victors in the House. In fact, it was supposed to be the beginning of the end of any speculation about whether or not Joe Biden would run for re-election. But instead, things went swimmingly well for Democrats. So it should come as no surprise that U.S. intelligence agencies have determined that there's no evidence that any of that interference had any impact on the election. Well, isn't that swell? U.S. intelligence agencies such as the CIA, the Department of Homeland Security, wrote in the report in December, we did not observe a directive from any foreign leader to undertake a comprehensive whole-of-government influence campaign, something not seen since 2016. So you see how this works. And I know that you know this, but it's just so plain and obvious to see it laid out. Countries try and interfere in our elections. The only time that it works, though, is if Democrats don't win. When Republicans win, it's an illegitimate presidency. We need hearings. We should falsely accuse the president without evidence of colluding with foreign countries. But when Democrats do well, oh, it didn't have any impact. Nothing to worry about here. 